Hey guys, it's RJ and Angie, and this is the Rich by Intention podcast. Our guest today is Cindy Zuniga Sanchez. Cindy is a money coach, speaker, and the founder of Zero Based Budget. After graduating law school in 2015 with $215,000 of debt, Cindy documented her journey paying off debt on social media. She has even partnered with the White House's National Economic Council to raise awareness on the American Rescue Plan. In this episode, we discuss the strategy she used to pay off debt, the importance of not inflating your lifestyle despite having a high income, and her new book, Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom, Eight Pillars to Build Wealth. We hope you enjoy her story. And as always, thank you for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and motivation. Hi, Cindy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You know, we're super excited to have you. I'm excited to get into the details of your new book. But for those who may not know you, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am Cindy Zuniga Sanchez, the founder of Zero Based Budget. And I, you know, I came upon to this world of, of personal finance really after having graduated law school with over $200,000 of debt, as us lawyers do, <laughs> and finding myself in a space where I didn't know who to ask questions to. I didn't know where to go for just relatable personal finance content or information. I honestly I didn't even know where to start, guys. Like, you know, I my first Google search was quite literally, how do I get out of debt? Like that was my search because I didn't know what, you know, where to go or what to do. But really that's because I am the daughter of immigrants. I'm first generation. I was born and raised in a low-income community in the Bronx, New York. And for me, you know, having Latino parents that my mom doesn't speak English even, uh, like how could I possibly, right? Ask them those types of questions. And so, you know, I really came onto this world of personal finance through my own curiosity and just really, you know, diving into books, podcasts, YouTube videos, right? Social media, just to look at, well, how can I pay off this debt? And so I started my own Instagram account, Zero Based Budget, because I wanted to do two things. I wanted to document my journey to pay off my, you know, $215,000 of debt. But I also wanted to educate my community. You know, I was raised in a predominantly uh, Black and Latino community. And I wanted to reach people that had never been, that had been ignored really, you know, for, for really since the inception of what we know as like the modern financial services industry. And through that, a business was born. I started my business, just coaching people, you know, just providing really practical personal finance advice, but also through the lens of a first generation Latina, which has always been really important to me. And, you know, I, pra- I, I practiced law for six years as a litigation attorney at, you know, one of the top law firms in New York City. And then I left last year, I left in May 2021, because I felt, you know, a pull really on my heart to continue to invest more in my community in this way. And, and I wrote a book while doing that. <laughs> that is amazing. Awesome. I mean, you know, we we're from New York, too. We're not from there. But we lived in New York for a while. So we nice, definitely understand. So we've lived all over. I've we've lived in Long Island, New yep. York yeah. together. Yeah. I actually lived not too far from the Bronx at one point. I lived in Mount Vernon, New York. Yeah, I know Mount I used Vernon to, well. I used yeah. to get on the, the bus to the 
the city bus and then take it to the subway in the Bronx. I forgot what stop. I think the two train. I think it was the number five. Yeah. Okay. I took the number five to work every day into Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so I totally understand. I know what it's like. Oh my gosh. So that's like an amazing story where you were able to, you know, you, you became this corporate lawyer or yeah. this litigation lawyer, rather, but yeah, then, yeah. you know, you accrued, accrued $215,000 of student loan debt. Oh, my gosh. But I want to kind of dig into that a little bit because you said you grew up in a low income, predominantly black and Latina or Latino community in the Bronx. Can you tell us about how you came from, you know, the low income area to becoming a litigation lawyer? Yeah. So, you know, I think that for many of us, and what I say by us is, I mean, you know, people like in my community of Black and Latino backgrounds, our parents taught us that education is the way out of poverty, right? Like that's what's going to break the cycle of poverty. So for me, as any good daughter would do, I knew that my job was to get A's. Like that was my job. In school, I did not have the option to be mediocre. I needed to be an excellent student. And so I, you know, I I applied myself and I, you know, worked really hard academically, which took me to Stony Brook University, which is this university I went to in Long Island. And, you know, I went there because I want, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, right? Like that's kind of the immigrant parents dream sort of, right? Like, oh, my kid's going to be like a doctor or a lawyer. And because I really love the sciences, I thought, you know, practicing medicine was a natural step for me, except that I can't see blood, right? <laughs> like I can't actually be in the hospital environment. I'm not capable of that. And so, you know, I, through my university, I learned of this opportunity to intern for then Senator Hillary Clinton, and I interned for her. But then, you know, uh, someone named Mr. President Barack Obama, right? Like it came into the scene oh, wow. and it suddenly appointed her secretary of state, right? Like all of this was happening really fast. I was only like 19 at the time. And it was like, oh my gosh, like, this is so cool. This like exciting new candidate. And boom, you know, he appointed uh, Hillary Clinton as secretary of state, which meant that I got kicked over to uh, Senator Schumer's office, right? <laughs> so, uh, which, is, uh, which is the senior senator here in New York. York. And so that led me to a curiosity of law, law and government and politics. And I suddenly found myself in a place where like, you know what, it would be really cool if one day I get to work in like, obviously it wouldn't be the Obama administration that would be past my time, but maybe, you know, work in the White House or work for Congress or work in that capacity. And so I went to law school because I actually wanted to run for office. That was like my initial dream. I wanted to get into politics. But then I realized really quickly in law school that, you know, my, my white peers were talking about this thing called big law. And I was like, ooh, what's that? And there were these jobs, you know, that were extremely competitive and their starting salary at the time, this is back in 2013, the starting salary was $160,000. And I was like, sign me up. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like 23 years old, right? And I'm like, I want one of those. How do I get one of those? You know, and so uh, I actually share that bit in my book where I'm really talking about this kind of new world opened up to me. You see, because I think that when our communities are not exposed to what we are Mm -hmm. capable of, we won't reach for it Mm -hmm. because we don't know that we're capable of that. Mm 
And so for me, it was my white peers that were exposing me to this new world of private practice, of corporate law, of corporate litigation, which is where I wound up going. And so I, I, I summer associated at a, at a firm, which is like an internship basically, but it's a paid internship in New York City. And at the end of the internship, I uh, received the job offer to join them, you know, as a full-time associate. And I thought that honestly, guys, like I thought that that was it. Like for me, I was like, I've done it. Like, this is the American dream, right? Like, this is what my parents had wanted for me this whole time. Look at me, like I've achieved this. But that's also why it was so hard for me to deal with my debt because I felt like I had checked all the boxes. I had done everything correctly. And yet I still find my, found myself in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and not knowing you know, how to handle it. In, in that moment, right, where you received this six-figure job, what were your parents' reaction like? Because, you know, as you mentioned, it's like their dream for their children to succeed. So what was it like at that moment? I mean, it was surreal, you know, and, and I told my parents how much I was going to be making. And I mean, just, you know, just to put it into context for anyone that remembers filling out the FAFSA, right, which is like the financial application form, right, for college. My family's EFC, which is the estimated family contribution, like what the government believes your family can contribute to your degree was zero dollars. You know, my whole life, my household income was at or about at or about the federal poverty line for a family of five. You know, so my parents never even could have imagined that kind of money. And so me telling them it was it was a shock more than anything. You know, it was a shock. It was emotional. And it, I mean, I know that they knew that it's not like the money would magically solve like all of our problems, but I feel like at that moment, they knew that their lives would never be the same. You know, at that moment, they knew that as a family, we would be okay. One way or another, whether I stuck with this job or not, we would be okay. And there was only forward to, to, to look ahead, you know? And, and since then, you know, I, I, when I received that job offer and when I started, I made a promise to my mom that I would send her to Ecuador every single year to spend time with my grandma. And she's actually in Ecuador right now. She's coming back tonight. And, you know, and I've kept that promise. I've honored that promise. You know, I, I, I told her that I would be, uh, I would step in when things are needed, you know, for, you know, grandma, you know, back, back home and by home, I mean, in Ecuador. And I've also been able to honor that promise, you know? So I think that like, there is something to be said that, money does make a difference. It's not everything, but it really does have the power to change family dynamics. I think for the positive where my, my parents who once, you know, my mom, for example, would only go to Ecuador every like five or six years, you know, even something as small as that, like being able to afford a round trip flight for her every year, it does make an impact. Wow. No, I think, you know, so many of us want to be in the position where we can give back to our parents, especially coming from immigrant immigrant households. So many of us want to be able to, you know, just help out where we can because our parents sacrificed so much for us to provide what they could to for us, you know. And so now I'm curious where you're in this high powered, high income corporate lawyer career path. Why did you feel like your debt was a burden to you? You know, like oftentimes we're like, if I, when I make that six figures, when I make almost 200,000, you know, I'm going to live this type of lifestyle, but you took the opposite path. 
when you started making your high income. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I think it was the fact that I knew no one was going to pay off this debt but me. You know, I knew that this was this was going to be my path. Like at the time, you know, there uh, obviously there wasn't the student loan forgiveness that there is right now, but I, I would not have qualified. Right. Obviously, for, for one thing. But another thing is that back then and we still have now is the public service loan forgiveness program. Right. That's like really the only other option that one could probably take. But I was in the private sector. So, again, boom, I wasn't going to qualify for that either. So who was going to pay off in these loans? Me. Right. Like I was the only one that was going to be able to pay off my debt. And so I wanted to get out of it as soon as quick, as soon as possible, because I knew that as if I pay this off, you know, in the next five years or whatever it may be, then I can get to helping my family even more quicker. Like I will be in the capacity where like something happens, an emergency happens. Boom. I can take from my you know, for, for my reserves and I can help out uh, my family in that way. So for me, it was really that sense of urgency of like the quicker I get out of this, the quicker I'll be in a, in a better position to help my family out. And so for me back then, you know, I was living in a studio apartment in Harlem. I had, I was paying really low rent for New York city at the time. My rent was like 1150. You know, my expenses were extremely low. I kept living like a broke law student. Like I just kept that lifestyle. I kept my lifestyle from law school into being a junior associate, which, you know, I didn't have to, right. I could have gone and, and purchased all the bags and all the fancy clothes and a nice fancy car, you know, maybe even a condo, right. Like I could have gone and done those things, but for me, I really had a clear goal and I knew that it was going to involve temporary sacrifice. And I was okay with those temporary sacrifices, even if it meant that, you know, my colleagues would buy lunch out every single day, which in New York City, I mean, we worked in Midtown and Rockefeller Center, like lunch is like 15 to $20 easily. Right. And, you know, and here Cindy was like with her lunch from home, you know, so it's like, but, but it was the little things that did make a huge impact actually in the long term. And, and I don't regret it at all. I'm, I'm very happy that I did that. You know, at the time I was not married, you know, no dependents really. So I was able to be a little selfish and like kind of do that. And, and I'm glad that I did because, you know, with the, having that debt off my shoulders has meant that I've been able to take risks, right? Like leave my very high paying job to pursue entrepreneurship full time. Wow. No, I think one thing that I'm thinking of, like, you know, it's hard, right? Because we've worked in the city. We've worked in corporate America where it's like we're going to those fancy lunches. Not even that fancy. It doesn't have to be that fancy, to be honest. It costs $15. But, you know, we're ordering, you know, takeout during lunch and whatnot. And that all adds up. Yes. But I'm wondering, you know, you're working with other high-income lawyers. Like, were you ever tempted to inflate your lifestyle to keep up with the Joneses, if you will? Oh, yeah, of course. Always, always. You know, I definitely was. I also worked in a in a field, especially, you know, like corporate law or big law, if you will, that is predominantly white, just overwhelmingly white. And and I knew. But the thing is, I think I always knew that I I, I was always going to be different no matter what. You know, my my journey wasn't going to be the same as my colleagues. Like the fact that like I am helping provide financially for my parents, my my most of my colleagues don't have to go through that. You know, and so I think that that's what helped curb it is this like, you know what, like I know my situation isn't the same as theirs and that's okay. 
you know, that's okay. And, and thankfully my colleagues never, honestly, they never like pressured me, you know, they never looked at me weird. Cause I look, I still dress nice. Right. <laughs> I still dress nice. I still like, I knew how to be polished. I knew how to, you know, work the world, right. Work the, that room that we were all like, kind of like stepping into, especially as like young lawyers. And so for me, uh, and, and at least for my law firm, I can't say that all law firms are like this, but for my law firm, it wasn't the whole, like, you know, we're going to judge exactly what shoes you're wearing, or we're going to ask what designer your like suit, you know, you have on. It was more like, did you get that brief done that we told you to ask to like get done last night? So for me, it was like, I knew I was going to impress people ultimately with my smarts and my personality and not just like outward appearances or talk of like, oh yeah, I just, you know, purchased this condo. Like, so I think it does also depend on the work environment too. So I got a little lucky on that. <laughs> no, that's great. Go yeah. Ahead. Yeah. So I wanted to, you know, just take a deeper dive in terms of you paying off 250, $215,000 of student loan debt. So yeah. what was that journey like? And what did you learn during yeah, that Yeah. What process? strategy did you use? Yeah. So a few off? strategies that I used. Well, one, of course, was I lived significantly below my means. Like I lived like a law student, you know, while I was paying off my debt rather than, you know, spending on, on all these things that I, I could have technically afforded at the time. So, so that's just obviously like living below your means. Another big thing that I did is I refinanced, I refinanced my student loans. Uh, so my average interest rate was about 8% at the time and 8% interest on $200,000 of debt is massive. I mean, it's really, really big. And so by refinancing, I cut my time period that I was going to pay back my loans essentially in half. And I also cut the interest that I was going to have to pay, which was going to be about $80,000. I cut that to $40,000, you know, by re again, by refinancing, by taking on a new loan uh, and locking in a lower interest rate. Now, of course, if you are for example, pursuing any like federal loan forgiveness, I do not recommend refinancing, right? Because refinancing will disqualify you from those types of programs. But again, like I mentioned earlier, I was not pursuing any of those types of programs. I was in the private sector, so it worked out for me. So refinancing was one of the biggest strategies that I implemented. Another big thing that I did was directing additional payments to my student loans. So for example, bonuses, my raises, right, at work, tax refunds, those big kind of like windfalls that you'd come across, all of that went to like my student loans. Like I was kicking nearly all of it to my student loans and those additional payments significantly helped bring back my loan balance even quicker. Budgeting, of course, was a big, big part of it too. I mean, that's there's no secret to that, right? Like my, my business's name is Zero Based Budget. Like I am extremely passionate about budgeting. I'm extremely passionate about having a plan for your finances, a very intentional plan for your finances. And for me, my budget included a line item for additional debt payments because I knew that my minimum payment alone was not going to cut it. I needed to put additional payments to it. And so for that, I also highly recommend using a debt repayment calculator so that you can actually plug in, right? Like you can just pop in. What would an additional payment of $100 a month look like? $200 a month, right? Like you can actually plug that into a calculator and it'll tell you like, oh, that will save you X amount in interest or it'll shave your repayment period from let's say 48 months to like 
36 months, right? So we're going down like a whole year, like there's power in knowledge. So I highly recommend anyone listening to this to use a debt repayment calculator. I like the one from Credit Karma and Nerd Wallet. Those are two debt repayment calculators I think are fantastic. Credit Karma has like a, a pretty standard, simple debt repayment calculator. Nerd Wallet has an excellent one that allows you to compare the debt snowball and the debt avalanche methods. So those are both methods that you can use to repay your debt. And it kind of very nicely illustrates it for you. So I, I really want to encourage people to, you know, any of those strategies, right? The, of course, living below your means, budgeting intentionally, and including additional payments for that, refinancing, using debt repayment calculators, throwing additional money like tax refunds and bonuses and pay raises to your debt. Any of those strategies or a mix of them can be really impactful for your journey. That's great advice. And I think really helpful tips. We love it. And we, we actually employed some of those strategies as well to pay down our debt. Yeah. You know, as you're speaking, you know, I'm thinking about just coming from an immigrant family. You're in this high income career. And a lot of times people aren't able to get themselves in a good financial position because oftentimes because they're making the high income, people ask them for money, right? A lot of family members and they feel like, you know what, I'm in this position. So I I feel like I really need to help, you know, my family and my close friends, you know, and I, I see that all the time in our communities. So what do you say to those people that are like, man, I really want to get my financial house in order, but I have a lot of competing priorities in terms of just helping my family and my close friends. Boundaries. Boundaries, which I think that is very, very hard for us to actually put into practice, especially if we're raised in households where we are very family oriented, you know, so for example, like in mine. And I think one of the best ways to do this is and, and I'll talk about from my personal experience, you know, with me and my personal experience, I pay for one of my parents' uh, bills, their, their cable, internet, like that whole package, right? I pay for that bill. And so I told them, right, like, I'm going to take care of this bill with my mom. I was like, mom, how much do you think approximately a month you would need you know, that that would be comfortable for you? And at first she was very uncomfortable with even like the discussion, right? Cause like, it's my mom. Like she's going to be like, no, no, honey. Like I don't need anything. It's okay. But it's like, no, I know you do mom. Right. And so invite the conversation and a great way that you do that, which is what I did with my parents is I told them that I'm working on these goals. Hey mom and dad, look, I started learning about investing. I started learning about how to strategically pay off your debt. And I'm on this journey, but I want to include you in my journey too. Right. You don't want your parents or your loved ones to think that you now think you're better than them. Right. Like you're smarter than them or your goals are the most important and they're kind of over here. Right. Don't do that. Have the conversation instead where you are telling them what you are learning. You are inviting them to be part of that process, but you are also with that setting your boundaries. Right. By, for example, putting an actual dollar amount to what you would be able to pay or, or, you know, to what you would be able to give or a bill that you would be able to pay every month. And then when you do that, you can now put that in your budget, right? You can now put that in your budget because now you're like, okay, for example, I'm going to give mom a hundred dollars every month or $200 every month, put mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, 
put them in your budget, like include it in your money plan, right? Because now you will also be able to honor your own goals through that. Another thing I highly recommend, and this is especially for those that, you know, family emergencies kind of come up, is to have a separate emergency fund for your family, right? And so like, yeah, that's kind of a big ask, right? Because you're like, okay, but like, you know, you're all telling me to build my own emergency fund. And now you're telling me to build one for my family too. Yes, because things are going to come up. So would you rather have this separate account that you can tap into or, or have to touch your own account to cover those types of emergencies? I mean, look at it. If you only start with saving, like, let's say $10 a week into that family emergency fund, by the end of the year, you'll have $520, right? If you do $20 a week, you'll have a little over $1,000 in one year. You can start doing that small thing to really, you know, be able to be that like, yes, I've got this. I can help out with this, but also simultaneously honoring the boundaries that you've put in place and your goals as well. Yeah, that's great advice. Just having, you know, a separate, you know, family emergency fund because, you know, our parents in general are getting older and, you know, it's it's a a part of life that you kind of have to account for. So great, great advice. I wanted to ask about the moment you made your final payment to become debt free. What was that like? Oh, I remember exactly where I was. I remember everything that I was feeling. I was in my my old apartment when I was living with my husband in, in Harlem and we were on our couch in our in our living room and I had my laptop out and I had he was to my he was to my left side and he was like holding on to me as I hit submit payment. You know, it was it was so surreal just to feel that burden, you know, be removed and to say, I did it. Like I did this. It was hard. It involves sacrifice, but it's done, you know, and, and really taking the time to like celebrate that accomplishment because it is a big thing. It is a big deal. And I'm, I'm so happy I had him by my side while I, while I did that. But then after I shared it, you know, I shared it with my community. I shared it with my family, with my friends, and I did it very openly. And I did my whole journey pretty openly with sharing numbers because I wanted people to start talking about it, right? Like I want people to start talking about money in a way that is judgment-free, in a way that is to educate, to inform, to empower. So for me, that moment, honestly, was more than just my moment. You know, it was a moment where my community really was able to celebrate as well, but also to be able to see the possibilities of what being intentional with your money can look like. That's awesome. And I mean, I'm so glad that you documented your journey so that others can see, because a lot of times we don't see it till we believe it. We don't think to your point, like if we're not exposed to something, we don't think it's possible or attainable to us. So thank you for just sharing your story <laughs> with the masses. And so now, now you, you, you've actually written a book yes. about for, about how to pay off debt, right? Can yeah. you, can you just tell our audience a little bit about your book? Yeah. So my book is Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom, Eight Pillars to Build Wealth. And the structure of it is the first part is my story, right? My money story, because I think it's really important to get to know, like, why is this person writing this book in the first place? And I wrote the book because I wanted to package up all the information that I had learned in a very simple way. 
right? A very kind of like, you know, it can get overwhelming, right? Like we all know, even though we're like personal finance educators and whatnot, like there is a lot of information out there. And so for me to sort of serve as like the translator, right, of all this jargon, of all this information and put it in a simple format was really important to do so that I could reach even more people in my community. And so the first part of the book, like I said, is about me and my money story and sort of my journey from, you know, being a little girl in the Bronx to working in a, you know, high powered corporate setting. And then I go into what I believe are the fundamental pillars to building wealth. So the eight pillars, which of course includes paying off debt, right? And how to create a debt repayment plan. What kinds of debt are out there? What are terms that we should know, right? But also each pillar, each chapter of the book dedicated to the pillar is full of examples because I think it's really important to teach through examples. So I use these examples with people's names, right? Like, let's say like Jerry has this and X, Y, Z, and they want to work on this goal. This is how they do it, right? Like, I think it's really important to teach people through examples because we can really visualize it. Uh, And then the last part of the book is a financial roadmap where it contains just this like comprehensive checklist of everything that you've just read. So you can very easily see like, okay, in terms of my credit score, what do I have? Do I have this X, Y, Z? All right, let me check it all off, right? Like it's supposed to be a very just easy read, but also a book that you can have throughout your journey, right? That you can still have after you read it, you can still have it on the bookshelf. And when you're like, you know what, what was that Cindy said again about like increasing your income and about like negotiating that salary? Let me just see what she said about that real quick. And you can go to the chapter or you can go to the checklist, right? So it is also meant to be a resource book as well. It's meant to be and really for anyone that's either just starting the journey or someone that's already on the journey and wants that easy reference book. It's something, it's been a labor of love. It's been something that I have poured everything into, you know, this past year, but it is some of my proudest work, truly. Wow. No, that's, that's great, right? Because just seeing people like yourself who are writing books, writing, creating resources for people, especially in your community is so important, right? Because like you said earlier, so many of us just don't know where to go, right? We don't have anyone to decipher, you know, all the, all the lingo, the financial lingo and whatnot. And, and just to have a resource like yours, overcoming debt, achieving financial freedom, eight pillars to build wealth is going to just help so many people. So Kudos to you for just sharing your story and, and, you know, putting it all into this book to, to help the, to help a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. I'm curious in terms of like your proudest moment, right? You paid off debt, you written a book and then, uh, you know, earlier in your career, you, you got the job that you always wanted out of those three. What are you most proud of? The book, because I think everything that I shared with you guys about my life, the job, law school, starting a business, it all led up to the book. So it's like the book has been, I guess, the best representation of my story to date. And I think it's going to be, it's, it's, it's an honor truly to be able to capture that story in words on paper and share it. Right. Because now, now it's out there. Like anyone can read it now and anyone can access it. And it, it, there, there's a lot of vulnerability that also comes with that. But there is also this excitement 
right? Of like, wow, like this is, it's now out there and this is going to serve people. I am very confident of that. And it's, it's exciting. You know, it's exciting. It's exciting because I think that, you know, as, as a, as a coach, as a content creator, as a speaker, you know, there are a bunch of different ways to work with me. And some of those ways are not going to necessarily be in people's budgets, right? Like, I would love for it to be, of course. I love my my coaching students. I, I love all of that. But for some people, it's not going to be quite there. But a book is something that is so accessible, right? That it's like, now I've been able to take what I've learned and, and put it in a format that even if you, what your budget for a book it's is let's say $25. Like if your budget for learning about personal finance is let's say like $25, then a book can fill that need, right? You know, like instead of having to buy like an expensive course or, you know, which look, not to say that I, I have a course, right? Like I think courses are wonderful. I think master classes are all wonderful. Those are all excellent resources, resources that I myself have used and also offer. But I think this is going to reach a different group of people that I don't know I otherwise would have been able to reach. And that makes me really happy. That's great. Now, I'm very curious to know, what did your parents say when you became an author? What was their reaction like? I mean, they were they were so excited. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to get emotional, but my book is is dedicated to my parents, obviously. You know, it's like all their sacrifices, all their hard work is is why I am where I am. You know, and I think for them, it's like the whole thing has just been surreal. My parents have been my biggest supporters. You know, people ask like, oh, were your parents supported when you supported when you told them you were leaving you know, law to like pursue your business and all that. And, and yes, thankfully they, they have been extremely supportive. They've always just wanted for the three of us, for me and my two sisters, they want above all for us to be happy and for us to be fulfilled. And I think them seeing that, like, this is a representation of all that work. Like it's, it's their, it's as much their pride and joy as it is mine. It really makes me happy to, to to see my parents like their face like light up, you know, when they saw my book cover and and and, and all of that. It's it's honestly been it, it has been incredible. Look, writing a book is really hard. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it, right? It's extremely hard and it can be very lonely also, you know, when you're in your office just plugging away writing, but it's so worth it. And, and I'm so happy that I've been able to do it. Love it. Love it. And, you know, thank you for, you know, just sharing your story and journey on this episode. This has been, you know, truly an honor to have you on. So lastly, where can people pre-order the book and where can people connect with you? Yeah. Yeah. So the book is available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target and Bookshop, which is, you know, supportive of independent booksellers. So you can check that out as well. And you can find me, I'm predominantly active on Instagram. So I'm at zero based budget. I'm trying TikTok guys. It's a little hard, right? For this millennial. (laughs) Yes. But I'm also at zero based budget on TikTok. And then lastly, you can find me on my website, zero dash based budget.com. Thank you so much, Cindy, for coming on the podcast. This has been a great episode. So inspiring. We're excited for your new book. Can't wait to to read it. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for inviting me again. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and inspiration. 